to the first ever Tarrant Institute podcast. I'm Audrey, and in this episode, we're looking at a recent study that's gotten quite a bit of attention. And that, of course, is the Common Sense Media Study, which ostensibly shows that kids aren't reading as much as they did in ye olden days. NPR did a piece on this study, The Washington Post did a piece, Forbes Media, Time Magazine, and all of them seem to just want to do some good old-fashioned hand-wringing. 5% of 17-year-olds today say that they read for pleasure no more than one to two times a year, if that often. That's way down from a decade ago, says Jim Steyer, head of Common Sense Media. Among 13-year-olds, a third say they read for pleasure only once or twice a year. But I tend to be naturally suspicious. And in fact, the following week, I saw a much less formal study from one of the schools we work with here in Vermont that showed, in fact, 77% of the middle schoolers they surveyed said that they read for pleasure either a lot or most of the time. Super unscientific, super low end, but it did lead me to want to ask a whole bunch more questions about the data from the Common Sense study. Now, I'm not much of a data guy, but Tarrant Institute graduate research fellow Mark Olofsson is. Mark's enrolled in UVM's doctoral program in education. He used to be a science teacher, and is an all-around super smart guy. So he sat down and read the whole common sense study, and here's what he found. What was interesting to me was going through some of the methodology pieces, um, and then actually looking at some of the actual data, and then thinking about what we know about schools which was, I thought was the most useful. So if you go down to like the PDF, it's page eight. This is a meta-study, which means that they looked at a bunch of other studies for sort of like overall trends, right? And the, the first study is just NEEP, and that's just reading proficiency. Doesn't tell us anything really about like how much kids read. Right. The second one is an in-school survey um, and then the rest of them are online. So that to me starts to, um, set off a little bit like, oh, I'm not so sure that you can say everything when it's an online survey. Um, because even though they're, they are using like random, like people generators and probability, like who they're going to ask generators, you still, people to some extent self-select to fill that out, right? Um, and also, you're automatically more likely to hit people who are more connected online if you're giving an online survey. And then we can start to think, well, if, if, the, ki if the parents spend more time online, the kids probably spend more time online. And if the kids spend more on time online, they might spend less time with an actual print book. And so we figured out that they, this, this study was qualifying reading as actual print books as opposed to... Well, it gets into here. Uh, the, st the different studies do it differently, right? Um, and they also ask them different questions. Um, the one at the top of the second column, for example, uh, the study asked the students to report the amount of time that they spent reading the previous day. And then they extrapolate that out to the week. So if you were a, imagine you're a student and you had um, soccer practice and like um, band practice and a bunch of things yesterday, you didn't read that much yesterday. Mm -hmm. So you put in like 10 minutes. Then they're going to extrapolate out that you only read 10 minutes a day, 
versus on your, maybe on your Monday, you read for two hours in the afternoon. Mm. But they didn't ask, but you didn't take the survey on Tuesday, so you don't report the Monday data. You took the survey later and you report the data about the day previously. Some of them bring in magazines and newspapers, some of them do not. Mm -hmm. Some of them um, are a little bit more specific about print. Um, there's also this question, it doesn't look like anybody's really talking about reading that you do online. They're, they do talk about specifically e-readers, mm -hmm. so like reading an electronic book, but that's different than, you know, I read 13 blog posts, and that's reading for fun, but I didn't, it wasn't a newspaper, it wasn't a magazine, it wasn't a book on an e-device, it was, it was just content. Right? So they aren't really digging into that too much. And actually, down at the bottom, they get into, like, the around the further questions of research, they touch on that. Um, seeing with the methodology stuff a little bit longer, um, some of them ask to kids to, like, report as a diary. Some people ask parents to report on kids. Um, some people did that, yeah, a typical weekend day versus a typical weekday. Um, and this study is just trying to put all that data together. Also, they continually, continuously talk about reading for pleasure. Um, and that, to me, is kind of interesting because if you go down to when they talk about reading proficiencies, I don't even care about change over time right now. I want to talk about oh, where reading achievement down on page 16. Yep. So reading achievement has increased. There are fewer kids at below basic and more kids at at or above basic and more kids at at or above proficient on all those graphs, right? Yes. How are teachers getting students to those levels? They're making them read more. Right. Right? And so... Is there any conceivable way they could have gotten to, to those levels without, without or, an amount assigning? of reading? No, there's no way. Right. It does, I mean, it does make sense to me. And so what that means in my mind is that probably students have more assigned reading, which is specifically not what this, this survey is asking about. Mm -hmm. They're asking about reading that wasn't assigned to you. Well, if you had two hours of reading that was assigned to you, you're, I would guess, less likely to then pile on more reading after that. Doesn't mean that the reading assigned to you is bad, you know. Oh, darn, you had to read Huck Finn. It was assigned instead of being, you know, a pleasure reading book. Doesn't mean that the kids are reading less. Just means that they're self-selecting. But then we also have national trends where we talk about kids have more homework. A lot of that homework's reading, right? And so we're eating up the pleasure time reading with assigned reading. I don't think that's bad. I mean, especially if, we're, if the reading that's being assigned is, like, quality and it's good stuff. You know, and I mean, it's leading to these increases in achievement. Exactly. And, I mean, I think about, I've known teachers who've taught The Hunger Games. That, 10 years ago, would have been a book that a kid just picks up and reads for pleasure. And now, they wouldn't check that off as, like, I read The Hunger Games for pleasure. They'd say, I read The Hunger Games in self-report as an assignment. Yeah. Doesn't mean they don't like it. Doesn't mean that it doesn't add to them being readers later in life, right? It doesn't mean that they devalue literature, but... Um, so I think it's things like that, that like the NPR story don't really dig into. Um, and then the changes over time were actually not nearly as bad 
as they wanted to talk about. Um, some studies it was worse, some studies it was better. The achievement gap remains, like, troublesome, but the flip side, I'm down on, like, page 19 now. Great. So you see there's, there's still, a, like, an unconscionable achievement gap here. But another way to look at those graphs is that all groups have improved. Yep, they right? have. All groups have improved and pretty decently. And yes, the white kids are improving faster. And that's something that is of some concern and that we would want to think about. But we do see improvement among all groups over the past, I mean, that's 20 years. So I don't think it's as... You're even seeing improvement in... Um... Their reading scores, when you break it down by parent education, mm -hmm. from 1992 to 2012, even though some of the the increases are small, they're still there's no they're decrease. Yeah. Um. And then the the gender piece, which continues to be a piece that our boys just don't read as, as much, um, and that I think is a, it's a separate issue. I think that there's like cultural things wrapped up in that. Um, so, um, the section on electronic book reading. I thought was really interesting. Um, also, when you're reading a report like this, I think it's worthwhile to just kind of like skip to the sections. They're like, eh, I'm not really that worried about this thing today. I'm gonna, I'm gonna care more about ebooks. And here they talk about some of the things that you're bringing up. And for me, and especially the work that we do, this section speaks really lo loudly because it's talking about all the distractions that come along with e-readers. And that previously, when we first had Kindles and Nooks, that, that's what they did. You, you read books on them, right? Or you could read a newspaper on them, or you could read a magazine on them. And now we're moving, and we're, we have multi-purpose e-readers, right? We have the iPad. And so what they are seeing is that students who read in those environments spend less time actually reading. And I think, you know, they have way more distractions there. So I think that... Um, a message it brings to us, and as we think about like folks that we work with, it, it could say a couple of things. It could say e-readers are actually valuable, although they've been pretty poo-pooed unless you know you're on vacation or something, you know. Um, but for modeling reading on the iPad, I think it's um, it's a teacher and a parent thing. Whereas a lot of times our iPads, we are doing like 18 different things on it and we aren't just sitting down like, I'm going to read on the iPad. And plus then there's like notifications. So like somebody said something on your Facebook and so you're distracted and you're off on it, right? Or, um, yeah, the, the, it, these multi-purpose devices lend themselves to just a ton of distractions. And I think that that's great because, they, they, you know, they, they are multi-purpose devices, but that there needs to be like, really conscious modeling and instruction around if you're trying to get your kid to read on a, a multi-purpose tablet. Um, and then also a little bit about the imprint versus electronic. Uh, parents read with their kids. Oh, where was it? I thought it was interesting. Um, when parents read to their kids, they prefer to do it with a print book. And they think that's important. And some of the reading stuff showed the more print books you have in the house, the more kids are going to read, right? Um, so for me, that means that they aren't modeling reading electronic books. Right. And then when they're asking, when kids are being handed these devices and asked to read on them, 
they haven't had that the same way that they've had, you know, sitting down with mom and reading. So there's that lack of modeling that... Lack of emotional connection. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I mean, I think that you can get into, although I still like print books, I think that you can just as easily get into a book on a Kindle or even an iPad. Um, but you're not going to if you haven't been shown these devices are for that. And you should take some time and, and separate out and, and spend time specifically with that. So, um, and then they've got some specific questions about they need to do more research around ebooks. They've got like six great heady research questions on page 23. Um, and it talks to some of these things about, you know, the, the bells and whistles that come along with, you know, the simple you touch a word and read it out loud to the more interactive pieces. Um, do those things help? Do those things hinder? All those things. Um, they're also not talking about the, the quality of the ebooks that the kids are reading because there's a huge difference between an ebook that's just been slapped into EPUB form from a Microsoft Word text mm -hmm. versus, you know, um, there are some, some really interesting uh, free textbooks about the American West that are, they, uh, I think President Obama made available right. through the White House that are broken, you know, the text has been completely justified. There are links and glossaries, but there's also embedded videos mm -hmm. and, you know, things like that. I think that just might be mo much more compelling given the type of content that students are and kids are exposed to online all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with an example like that, all of those accessory things are build are like building to the content, right? Versus you might get a a children's book that then has like an embedded little game in it or an embedded little like find the key in this picture sort of thing, which aren't as like strictly tied to the content. They're kind of like peripheral amusement things. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, um, my sort of. Going through this book, this report, it's the, it's a lot less dour than is being reported. Things usually are, um, because researchers are a lot more cautious to make big sweeping generalizations, um, and also, you know, uh, it calls for a lot more uh, research, and I think that it can speak really to. Um, to our teachers who are, you know, working with tablets and experimenting with online textbooks and working with, you know, um, those re uh, giving readings online, both the modeling piece, the being, like, if you want kids to know something, usually you have to teach it, you know, unless it's something they're going to learn through experience, you kind of have to teach it. And so teaching being really setting aside time on the iPad, and I don't know if that means, like, turn it to airplane mode. You know, right? Like the next forty-five minutes, it's silent reading time, and you can do that in class. You know, even the next twenty minutes, it's silent reading time. Everybody needs to be in airplane mode, and I need to see you know pages on your screen. Um, and you know, asking parents to do that as well if they're trying to like get, get their kids reading at home but still using these awesome devices. Drop it into airplane mode. This is what you're doing right now. If you're going to read, and I think that I don't know. I'm not a child psychologist, but I do think that for my own personal, like, reading, I like to be able to focus in and not have a bunch of, like, 18 million distractions, and so it's kind of giving, like, 
it's showing the kids kind of like the way to get there, even though they're still using this device. Um, I wonder about teachers who are less in favor of reading on devices and are just more wedded to print books, right? So I, I'm a much bigger fan of print books mm-hmm. than, than e-books. And I think that if, if I was in a classroom, I would struggle to model reading and mm-hmm. an, on an e-reader. You know, and definitely if you have the, the books there, um, you can do that. And I, I do think it's great. And, you know, there's print books will never die, ever. Um, and, um, it, because there is it's it's this it, it is a full experience um, and yeah there's just something about it just seems more natural um, so you know for those teachers if they're really still invested in their print books but they also have these devices at least taking some time once a week a couple of times a month to model what it looks like to read on these devices doesn't mean it has to be their primary thing. Doesn't mean it has to be okay. Now everybody's going to do it this exact same way. Kids love options. Um, and then you know that actually be interesting for a a good whole class discussion about how do you like to read. Like have a couple of days silent read if you're all working on classroom books. You know, have a couple of days reading out of a print book. Try reading on the screen. Come back. Have a discussion. What felt better? Where. At some like nuts and bolts, how many pages did you get through? Was there a difference there? Um, what did it feel like? What did did you feel like? Yeah, feeling words that come up when you think about the difference in the, the experiences, and then if you've had those, you know, good rich discussions, it might be a place to allow kids to choose. You know, it might be another like little democratization piece, where if you've got, you know half a dozen kids who really do like reading on their device and you you can see that they're getting through pages you know they're still reading for comprehension um let them have the option but you're i would suspect especially around like um like a book that you're reading together in language arts stuff like that that you're still going to have a lot of kids skew towards the print books and that might be connected to more parents read print books to their kids than they do read online so there's that deeper connection what about the response um opportunities with uh online reading or ebook reading i'm thinking of like for instance um flipboard or if you're uh reading in some way where kids could comment Mm, the text collaboratively yeah do all that stuff um do you think that would have any effect on on whether kids would be more drawn to reading you know, I don't know. The The collaborative piece is interesting, but then you are building up more and more um, almost distractions while you're sort of making sense of the text yourself. That's a good point. You know? um, I, I really like commenting for things like blog posts, for, for things that are online that are short form, um, even long form articles. Um, I think that's great because then, then it's, it's sort of like... Um, I don't know, somebody stand like you're having a town hall meeting and somebody stands up and says something for five minutes and now we all talk about it, you know. And I think there's definitely a place for that online. There's a place for that around a lot of text. But I think that it's also important that kids are sort of like given that little space to make meaning themselves so that they can then, like, then if you come to a classroom discussion, they got something to say. If they've been reading, you know, if they read chapter three of, I keep saying Huck Finn. It's a great book, though. 
Um, and there's all these like comments and stuff. When they come, I think they're going to more likely be responding to the comments than they are going to be be talking about their own response to the text. Ah, uh, yep, yep. You know, so I just think about looking at forums. I'm like, this guy's an idiot. I'm like, you guys stopped talking about the text like 15 comments ago. Yeah, it's really easy to get off track that way. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I think it's interesting. This is why it's important for us to like. It, it's nice. It's it's interesting when stuff gets brought to the forefront by a news article, and then it kind of directs you to being able to dig in a little bit deeper and kind of see past just kind of what's the four minute blurb on the radio that's going to get people interested and and shaking their heads and like kids these days. So in conclusion, reports of the demise of reading among kids has been greatly exaggerated. Everyone can calm down and have a great time queuing up all that delicious summer reading. If you need some ideas to get you started, you couldn't do better than the Lamoille Union High School Library's Guide to Summer Reading. Those folks are also on Twitter, where they're posting a series of hashtag shelfies, students and educators taking pictures of themselves with what they're reading. They're at Lamoille Library, all one word, and they're awesome. Be sure to check them out. Also, it turns out I was not hallucinating about those splashy ebooks about the American West. They're called America, the Story of Us by Kevin Baker featuring an introduction by President Obama. Thanks to Mark Olofsson for reading the entire Common Sense Media study, and to Aaron Wortley for sneaking around Man Hall trying to find a quiet room to record this in. This has been the Terran Institute Podcast. Thanks for listening.